0: Welcome to the Employment Law and HR Podcast with your host, Alison Colley. Hello and welcome to this episode 93 of the Employment Law and HR Podcast. I'm your host, Alison Colley. I'm a solicitor and employment law specialist and I run my own firm, Real Employment Law Advice. We provide advice and assistance to Employees and employers throughout the UK on all aspects of employment law and HR, and basically just best practice. For those of you who haven't listened before, the purpose of this podcast is to provide employers, managers, supervisors, business owners with information in easy to consume updates on employment law and again, best practice really, just sharing some knowledge so that you can be a better employer. Now, This is episode number 93 of the podcast so I'm coming up for the 100th episode soon and my goal was to get to over 100,000 downloads for the podcast before episode 100 and I'm pleased to say just prior to recording this podcast I logged on on Sunday the 18th of February and had a look at my Account and my Libsyn account, and I'm pleased to say that I have had 100,094 downloads to date. So, a big thank you to everybody who's downloaded the podcast and who has listened. I really appreciate your support, and I do really appreciate getting emails from you. I get emails now fairly regularly from listeners, and it's always good to hear from you with suggestions for topics for the podcast and that sort of thing. So, I definitely like to hear from you if you want to get in touch. And I'm sure that the contributing factor to the 100,000 downloads has been the GDPR episodes. I've had a number of people contact me asking for the GDPR checklist. So again, thank you very much and please don't be afraid to get in touch if you have any questions. As I said earlier, we do provide advice to people across the UK and we offer an initial free telephone call and Uh, email if you needed to. So do get in touch. You can contact me. My email is alison at advice.co.uk. So without further ado, I'm going to get into this week's featured content. So this week sees a return to covering a case. It's been a little while since I've covered a case that's been in the news and I've been doing various other updates and sort of fitting in cases here and there when they come up. But this time I've got a case about disability discrimination and it's a case from the Court of Appeal. The case is, now hopefully I'm going to say this right, Donna Leanne versus Liberata UK Limited. And the case was brought by Miss Donna Leanne who was dismissed from her employment Back in October 2009. So before I go any further about this case, it just goes to illustrate the length of time that these things can go on for. So Miss Donnellyan was dismissed in two thousand and nine. Her case went to the Employment Tribunal. It then went to the Employment Appeal Tribunal in two thousand and fourteen. And then finally there was a further hearing in the Court of Appeal in November 2017. And the judgment has recently been issued on this case. So from 2009 to receiving the judgment in 2018. So that's, you know, a substantial amount of time for this to be going on for both parties. And it's certainly something I know when I advise people, they don't realise how long that these cases can be going on for. Particularly as there's such a short window of time in the employment tribunal to make a claim, you only have normally three months. So people think, well, it's only a short period of time to make the claim. Surely it must be dealt with fairly quickly. Well, in fact, if the case is appealed like this one has been, as far as the Court of Appeal, it can take, obviously in this case, sort of nine years from when she was terminated from her employment. So it's just an interesting point to note. Anyway, Miss Donnellyan was employed by Liberato UK Limited for approximately 11 years before she was dismissed. And My understanding from the judgment and the facts that were given is that Liberata UK Limited are a outsourcing business, providing business services and outsourcing services to various organisations, including a London borough council where Miss Donnellyan worked as a court officer. Um, I understand that she dealt with preparing cases for court for the council there. But anyway, The reason why she was dismissed was because of her absence from work and her failure to comply with the absence procedure. So there were three reasons given by the employer for her dismissal and that was unsatisfactory attendance, a failure to comply with their notification procedures, so when she was absent she failed to inform them within the appropriate timescale in the appropriate way, and she failed to work her contractual hours. There were a variety of reasons given for Miss Donnellyian's absence over the period of time, and just as an idea, she was absent on 20 occasions, with a total of 128 days, in the lead-up to her dismissal. Now, the reason why this case has been appealed, and the the key part of it really, is that Miss Donnellyan was claiming that she had a disability and that her employer, Liberata UK Limited, failed to undertake their duty to make reasonable adjustments for her disability. Now, due to the timing of the case when she was dismissed, it was actually under the Disability Discrimination Act 1995. And for those of you who don't know, we now have the Equality Act 2010, which encompasses all of the discrimination legislation into one. So the Disability Discrimination Act was repealed and replaced by the Equality Act. But for the purposes of this case, the relevant wording and definitions was the Disability Discrimination Act. Helpfully, they're not too different. And so the considerations aren't that different now. So we can still look to this case for helpful guidance for employers. Now where an employee has a disability, an employer is under an obligation to make reasonable adjustments to ensure that the employee isn't at a disadvantage because of their disability when compared to their non-disabled colleagues. Now in order for the duty of reasonable adjustments to apply, the employee must be disabled and the relevant definition in summary is that they must have a long-term Condition which has an impact on their day to day activities. So, in order to be disabled, an employee must have an impairment which has a substantial and long term adverse effect on their day to day activities. And in order for the reasonable adjustments duty to be triggered, the employer must know that the employee has a disability or have constructive knowledge of their disability. So, they don't have to know. 100% for sure that they're disabled but if they ought reasonably to have known that they were disabled or have known of the facts constituting their disability then they have constructive knowledge of disability. So what does this mean? So it doesn't necessarily mean that an employee has to say to their employer I am disabled and this is my impairment and these are the impact upon me in order for the employer to have knowledge. So, an employer can't use the ignorance or the fact that the employee didn't explicitly spell it out to them. But the issue in this case was whether the employer had constructive knowledge of Miss Donnellyan's disability. Now, if the employer didn't have knowledge of Miss Donnellyan's disability, then it falls that her claim for disability discrimination and failure to make reasonable adjustments would fail. And that's what the Employment Tribunal decided at the first instance. They decided that the employer didn't have knowledge and so therefore could not have been responsible for the failure to make reasonable adjustments. The argument here arose because the employer Liberata had actually referred Miss Donnelly into their occupational health service and had also obtained information from her GP. Now, the occupational health report that they received stated quite clearly and explicitly that she didn't have a disability, in their opinion, for the purposes of the Disability Discrimination Act at the time. And Liberata relied upon that. The argument here was, whether it was reasonable for them to rely on that occupational health report or whether they should have had constructive knowledge, given what they knew about her condition and her um, information from her GPs. So on looking at all of the issues, the Court of Appeal agreed with the Employment Tribunal on this matter, that in this case, Liberata didn't have knowledge of her disability at the time they took their decision and the time in which they failed to make reasonable adjustments. And that was because they had the occupational health report. But they didn't just blindly rely on that. They also had information from Miss Donnelly and herself, information about her condition and also from her doctor. Now because Miss Donnelly had a variety of health difficulties, including stress and anxiety, she would be off for various reasons throughout that time. And it was noted that many of her absences were for things like flu and colds and generalised stress and anxiety. And there were four letters from her GP, all of which gave details of different conditions and were inconsistent. And so on reflection, the Court of Appeal agreed that Liberata had reasonably made inquiries of both occupational health of the employee and of her GP, and were able to reasonably conclude that she wasn't disabled at the time, that they would have had the duty to make reasonable adjustments. They had raised the right questions and they had sought clarification, rather than just receiving the occupational health report and rubber stamping it and saying, okay, the occupational health report says she's not disabled and therefore, regardless of what else we know about her, we will follow that which was basically what meant they were successful in defending this claim all the way through from the Employment Tribunal to the Court of Appeal. So just to summarise then, Miss Donna case was that the GP's letters and everything else that they knew should have led her employer Liberata to conclude that she was suffering from an impairment under the Disability Discrimination Act. And Liberato was saying we ought not reasonably to have known because we had information from occupational health which says you weren't disabled. And there was conflicting information about the reasons for your absence and the very variety of reasons for your condition and your medical situation. And therefore, it wasn't reasonable for us to have known at the time that you met the definition of a disabled person. Now, of course, this case, as in many cases like this, is fact-sensitive, and so each case will fall down onto the specific circumstances. But it does provide helpful guidance for employers who are faced with an employee in a similar situation. And if you receive advice from Occupational Health, for example, which states specifically that an employee does not meet the definition of a disabled person for the purposes of the Equality Act, as it is now, and you are not sure if that is actually correct or not as long as you ask for clarification and seek further information that supports that occupational health opinion then you can rely on that and to say well actually this person isn't disabled and we don't have constructive knowledge that they are. If however you get the occupational health report it says that and you do nothing against a backdrop of other information or you know sensibly you should have known otherwise Then you may still be decided to have had constructive knowledge of the disability, regardless of the occupational health report. Practically, unfortunately for the employer in this situation, they had an employee who was being uncooperative and unhelpful and who wasn't willing to engage with them and wouldn't allow their occupational health doctors to contact her GP for more information. Had she being cooperative or allowed that to happen it might actually have helped her case because they could have reached the conclusion that she was disabled earlier on and it would have triggered the obligation to make reasonable adjustments and then had Liberata not done so she would have been successful with her claims. So it is a bit difficult for the employer in this situation and a bit of a tip for any, any employees who are listening or anybody who advises employees if you are in a situation like this, it's better to be cooperative with your employer and provide as much information as possible about your condition and be consistent about it in order to preserve your rights and ensure that your employer has the information they need in order to behave accordingly. So just the final point, the takeaway from this for employers is that if you have an employee who seems to have a consistent medical condition or has long-term absences, It's really important to get some advice and support about it before making any decisions and just having an ignorance to it is not going to be sufficient to help you later on. It's much better to do everything you can at the time to try to resolve it and get the relevant information to make the right decision than to try and mop up or try and backtrack later on. So if your face is an employee who's on long-term sickness absence or has a number of conditions which are causing them to have difficulties or absences from work, then I recommend you get some advice. You can get in touch with me. As I said at the beginning of the show, we do offer an initial free telephone call or email advice, so please get in touch. My email is alison at RealEmploymentLawAdvice.co.uk. You can also find all our contact details on our website, which is adviceforemployers.co.uk. You'll find a link to the full Court of Appeal judgment in the show notes, which you can find at adviceforemployers.co.uk forward slash podcast forward slash 93. If you've enjoyed listening to the podcast or if you've been one of the people that have been downloading the one of the 100,000 episodes over the years, then I'd be really grateful if you could leave me a review wherever you're listening to this, whether it be in Spotify, Stitcher, iTunes, or even on the website, you can leave a comment with a review. I'd be really grateful just to spread the word so we can hopefully get another 100,000 downloads before we get to episode 200.